Welcome back to Coffee Meets Bible, a podcast by The Cultivation Project, where we explore the testimonies of ordinary people and how they strive to live missionally. Today, Cameron Cui and Eunice Ng get to know a prime example of someone living for the missions field in the way that God has called them to. Eric Lige is a musician, songwriter, and the founder of The Ethnos Project, a global initiative to inspire worship around the world. Join us as we learn about Eric's musical calling, his other ministry involvements, and his input on the importance of multicultural worship. Eric, welcome. We are super excited to have you. Um, We're just going to kick it off by just asking you just basic questions. we know that you're really passionate about music. Um, you've probably led hundreds of different worship songs by now, but can you tell us what is your favorite worship song and why? Well, Eunice and Cam, it's exciting to be here um, to answer your question. That's a, it's a really difficult question to answer, but if I had to, to give an answer for that, I would say it's a song that I actually wrote while I was in college. It's called Surrender. Oh. Um, it was during a time where I was in a crossroads in my life questioning whether I really believe this faith that I've been initially handed or or, or is this my true conviction? And so as I sat there at the piano in the piano room in college, I began praying and that prayer became a song of surrender. And so it was these lyrics. In fact, it was, I surrender all to you, Jesus. I surrender every part of me. Use me as I am, Lord, I surrender. I surrender all to you. I give you my life. It's in your hands. I lift up my voice. Surrender my plans, my soul and my mind, my spirit renewed. Lord, take my life. I offer to you in sweet surrender. I surrender Ooh. all to you. Slower and more passionate, but yeah, those are the lyrics. <laughs> that was beautiful. So oh I think gosh. that song will always probably be the most important song to me. Wow, music to our ears. I was actually going to ask you to sing us a snippet of it because you said that you wrote this song, yeah. but thank you for just offering it. I could have done a better job, but you no. know. <laughs> just have to sneak no, it in there. that was beautiful. Look at that studio version. So. <laughs> um, besides your voice obviously being a really beautiful and important instrument in your oh, life, you. um, what other instruments do you play? You know, in my dreams, I play the bass and the drums, <laughs> but in reality... <laughs> I'm a singer, but I, I play the piano, and okay. I can I can get by on an acoustic guitar if I really had to. I know all five chords that it takes to survive as a worship leader. Right, right. those basic <laughs> basic chords. Yeah. In the key of G. <laughs> yeah, G. <laughs> Capo. And yes, yes, Jesus. That's all you need. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do for a living. Well, I am a musician. A little about myself. I grew up in. I was born in Birmingham, Alabama, grew up in Lake Charles, Louisiana. And in case you can't see me, I'm (laughs) (laughs) African-American. And a pillar part of the black community, especially the African-American experience in the southern states of the United States is the church. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up in church and I was 17 years old when I um, was told that I would sing because people would hear me singing. throughout the congregations that I was a part of. And this worship leader came up to me and she said, I, I heard you could sing and I'm going to put you on a program. <laughs> and so wow. at the age of 17, I stood in front of a bunch of youth at a youth event, first audience. Wow. And I sang a song and I knew that I had something then 
because mm-hmm. when I finished singing, people were crying. And I was like, oh, what do I do with this? Yeah. Fast forward 100 years later, here I am, <laughs> <laughs> making my wow. living as a singer, songwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wear uh, several hats, figuratively speaking, in terms of what I do for a living, because I am a musician and I don't want to necessarily be a starving artist. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm programming arts director at Ethnos Community Church. Um, I've been doing that for eight years. Um, I just wrapped up the past 17 months of being worship director for um, Urbana Missions Conference. Mm-hmm. I'm also the founder and creator of the Ethnos Project. Um, it's a multi-ethnic global recording project that I put together. Um, and yeah, I think that's about it for now. <laughs> I do a lot wow, of stuff. That's I'm it. a tap dancer on the side. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's awesome. And just a disclaimer to everyone listening, Eric looks really good for living a century long. We <laughs> <laughs> no. could not tell. Black don't crash. <laughs> um, since you um, mentioned it briefly and like mm-hmm. all the things that you do, you said one of your roles is the Ethnos Project and we'd love to hear um, more about what that is and yeah, why you're passionate about it. The word ethnos is a Greek word, which means nations. Um, and the name of my church is Ethnos Community Church. We're a multi-ethnic, intentionally multicultural community. And while I was attending Ethnos, I started about eight years ago. One of the things that's important to us in our community is singing songs in different languages and styles. Mm. And I remember doing that for our community because it is a global community that I live in. And so I had this crazy idea to put together a global project with musicians and singers and songwriters and creatives from all over the world. And so I just started calling up different friends. And one of the friends I, I called up was um, Vahag Stepanian from Yerevan, Armenia, to be our music producer. Wow. And then I have a friend, Andy De Los Santos, who's Filipino-American. He lives up in Chino Hills, California, and he has a, a degree in vocal performance. And so I think I thought, okay, we have a good combination here. Mm. And then there's crazy me who comes up with the ideas. And (laughs) these guys are like, what? Wait, what? Huh? (laughs) Um, But the Ethnos Project is a global collective, a collaborative of musicians and creatives from all around the world. So our bass player, for instance, lives in Venezuela. We have drummers from Brazil, Mm. um, Turkey, uh, just uh, uh, L.A. (laughs) Got to get L.A. in there. (laughs) Uh, Songs that represent, you know, Chinese, Korean it, it's a global collective. But I will say this. Mm-hmm. It's a project that reflects uh, Revelation 7-9, where John the Revelator has this vision mm-hmm. of the future of worship, as we'll know it in God's coming kingdom, where he describes people from every language, every tribe, every tongue gathered together. And so the idea behind this was to put together a project that reflects the future of worship, as mm-hmm. we will know it in heaven, as well as our current reality, I mean, the world is a global, it, we're more globalized now. And so, as I mentioned, the community that I live in, it's a very multi-ethnic community. For instance, mm-hmm. my roommate's Chinese-American, my former roommate's from Turkey, my, the neighbors across from me are from Singapore, the, the ones on the other side of me are from Japan, Uh, upstairs they're from um, Michigan so you just have this you know eclectic community and yet worship music sometimes it's just like one faceted or I don't uni I don't know it's just it doesn't offer enough so that's why yeah it just like you said it might not represent all the cultures all the nations that 
worship should represent and should be available to, right? Um, I guess follow-up question to that is, what do you hope to achieve through the Ethnos Project? There are a few things I hope to achieve. For for one, I, I hope that worship leaders, like current worship leaders, can see the Ethnos Project as a resource, mm-hmm. as the world continues to continues to change around them, as communities become more and more, I would say, multi-ethnic and multicultural. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they find themselves desiring to sing songs that are more hospitable to people, that, that, allow, that, that becomes welcoming to people in their communities. Um, and so it's a resource. Hopefully it challenges us to think beyond the, we use this word, it's kind of overused, but the four walls of our churches, our, our gatherings, mm-hmm. to consider the, who's living in our communities. When we first met up too, you also mentioned like a lot of your songs and how you write songs, mm-hmm. it comes from inspiration from where you travel. Um, you, you've collaborated with various artists earlier, like mm-hmm. what you mentioned earlier about people from all over the world, people from China, Japan. Mm-hmm. Can you just describe like, yeah, what's, what's your experiences like traveling so much and meeting people who you can collaborate with? You know, I, I thought I knew a little bit about music before I started traveling. And I, you know, of course I knew my own experience, but when I, when God opened up the opportunities for me to travel into these different spaces, I learned so much more, not only about people, but about the multifaceted, multidimensional, creative God that we serve, mm. right? We're created mm. in his image and in his likeness. And mm-hmm. so one of the things I, I learned and I am learning constantly is that every time I sit with sisters and brothers who don't look like me or sound like me or live like me, I learn something new about God. The God in them, right? Um, in terms of writing music, I know I have something to offer, but I believe in the power of a shared experience. I believe just as I have something to bring to the table, my sisters and brothers from from different expressions has something as well to bring um, to the table and to be able to collaborate together and write songs together and write from our different expressions. That, to me, is the essence of multicultural music, creating multicultural music mm. and living in, in community together. It, I, I would call it organic. Mm. Yeah. It's not um, something that's contrived mm. where it's like, mm. oh, let's, let's, let's write a song and let's include English <laughs> and Spanish. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. But that's who they are. So that's where the space that they, they write from. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you know like how many songs on all your albums are through collaboration with people from other countries? From other countries, I would probably I'm I'm taking a wild goose gander guess. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but I've heard people say it. So you, <laughs> I would say uh, upward of ninety five to ninety eight percent of the songs. Oh, wow. okay. It's a collaborative that project. Awesome! Wow. I think we have in the on the earth a, enough translated songs mm-hmm. that okay. come from mostly um, Western context. Mm-hmm. In fact, most of our songs that are translated come from either the United States, the, uh, the UK, mm-hmm. or Australia. Oh, uh, mm. yeah. um, and so I intentionally, through partnership with friends in other countries, wanted to sit down and go, what songs are you writing? Mm. What's your story? Yeah. And, and oftentimes then they invite me to be a part of the story by perhaps um, transcribing their Japanese or, you know... Um, 
Armenian songs mm-hmm. and to English, but it's still their story. So nothing changes. It's still the essence of their own, them telling their own um, experience. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. Um, that's what happens a lot of times. Like a lot of the art that we produce in America, mm-hmm. that's like seen as the art, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and then we, we overshadow every other culture out there. Yeah. Then we don't really get to see how they see God, right? We don't get to see how they connect with God, mm-hmm. how they really find intimacy with him yeah. So, and, and yeah. yeah like um through like the process of making the last three albums i know mm-hmm. you just released your third album what was like one of your favorite songs that you put together and if you don't mind describing the process leading yeah. up to that i um i i would probably say right now you ask me that tomorrow it'll probably change <laughs> and it changes every day but yeah. i would say som landela mm. because I was in Johannesburg, South Africa. Um, on I think it was my first trip to Johannesburg. I remember landing there and I went to teach a, um, um, a multicultural worship seminar, a workshop. And at the end, and I'm a bit, I would think I was feeling a bit jet lagged and tired and happy to go and take a nap or whatever. And some guys stopped me on the sidewalk. These two guys, Greg and NJ, walked up to me and asked, hey, can we share a song that we wrote, I think it was the night before with you. And it's a song called Love is Calling. NJ is black, um, Greg's white, and this song, the the lyrics, it goes, love is calling to everyone here in this place, will you go for me? They took this chorus that they wrote the night before and paired it with a Zulu traditional song, Som Landela, Som Landelu Jesu, it says, we will follow, we will follow Jesus. Wherever he leads us, we will follow. And so they shared this song with us. It was me and the team that I was with in the parking lot. And I remember just tearing up and it, it impacted me so much that when I left South Africa, I kept singing this, or at least trying to sing it because I didn't know <laughs> I was, And yeah. I bugged them until they sent me the chords mm-hmm. and I started learning it. And at some point when I started thinking of putting volume three together i thought i want this song on the project and i need nj's voice singing it Mm -hmm. the writer almost on all of the songs where i've collaborated with people i make sure that um some of the writers and and people are represented on those actual songs Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but i'll i'll go back for a second because i mentioned that nj is black and greg is white the backstory of that song is nj shared with me he said eric i will be honest with you and tell you I hated white people, white white South Africans mm. um, a few years ago. Oh, wow. And if you understand the history of racial tension and apartheid in that part right. of the world, in South Africa, then you kind of understand where that feeling came yeah, from. Mm-hmm. Right. But then God led them to a community, a faith community, a Jesus-following community, and he became a part of the music team. And it was a multicultural community. And as much as he wanted to continue to hate white people, I mean, God brought him into the space. And there was the tension of having to have real conversations in relationship. Love began to shift and change his heart just as it did the other people around him. And now he and Greg, they write these songs of reconciliation. In Revelation 7-9, John says, 
After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. This is the theme verse for the Ethnos Project, which is already on its third volume. We encourage you to support the project and its vision in connecting people of all nations to God and to one another. To learn more, visit www.cultivationproject.org slash podcasts and select episode two. Now let's hear more from Eric Lige on the importance of diversity in music. So we're going to kind of switch topics a little bit. Um, I had the chance to attend Urbana 2018 this past winter. And for those of you who don't know what Urbana is, it's a giant missions convention hosted by InterVarsity every three years. And this is when I first saw you, Eric, in action. Um, You (laughs) mentioned earlier uh, you were the worship director of the entire worship team. And I guess like, yeah, what was it like leading worship in front of 10,000 people and do you think this was kind of like a validation of your vision for the Ethnos Project? First of all, Cam, I think it's I think it's crazy that I'm sitting here, you know, having this conversation and chatting with you and doing a, a podcast is awesome. Um, knowing that we got to experience Urbana 18 together in the same space, of course, different perspectives, mm-hmm. um, different vantage points in front of about 11,000 other participants. Mm-hmm. So that was a beautiful thing. I think to be on the serving end of uh, it's quite humbling to be able to, to serve in, in such a way. And it was an honor um, for me to hold the position as the Urbana um, worship director. But I think it was an even greater honor to be able to invite along friends who are also worship leaders from different um, cultures. Mm-hmm. Because I think if we're standing in front of about 11,000 people at a global worship conference, then I only have my experience to offer but if we can bring along others, then that it becomes even more rich because they can lead out of their identity, out of their expression, out of who, their encounters um, with God. And I, as far as my validation of um, the vision that God has given me for the um, Ethnos Project, to be honest with you, I think, I, I believe that my years of, of serving in my local church um, being invited into different spaces around the world, both in small and, and large spaces. I mean, I remember being invited to lead worship at a Persian conference. And I re- I, I'm on the phone like, you really? You want me to do this? Like, <laughs> I, 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 I'm not Persian, yeah. but they, they invited me to do this. I think mm-hmm. those moments, every moment prepared me mm-hmm. for Urbana. But I'll be honest, mm-hmm. that's not the end all. Mm-hmm. Um, God has so much more. And I do believe that every um, opportunity that comes along prepares me for the next thing. And I don't count it a small thing that God would say, okay, you're the guy for Urbana 2018, mm-hmm. yeah. but I'm anticipating, okay, God, what's next? Um, I know Somlandela. The whole crowd loved this. Um, I was I remember going outside after the sessions mm-hmm. would end and people would just sing it down the street. I heard about and, that, man. Wow. And of course, like it, like there's an Urbana app and people are making memes about you. And <laughs> you're, you you're, were you're, a meme? You, up, you yeah. know what? The Stop. only reason I had that app, because it wasn't on my phone, but people were like, they got memes about you. And so I, I was entertained awesome. by it. I downloaded the app. That's that a reason. big deal. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, how did you decide to make that like 
the Urbana song, like the one that everyone would like, you know, how did you know that? You know, it's, it's interesting. I didn't necessarily make it that it became that, but I had a knowing internally this, this, I think it's, I'm a feeler first of all. Mm. Secondly, it's the musician in me. When I write a song, I'm a quality control kind of individual where I know, okay, this one's going to work. Eh, this one's not going to work. You know, with this particular song and Urbana, based on how the song impacted me when I stood there on the sidewalk in that, or in that, um, that parking lot in South Africa, oh, and, and then I started teaching it and singing it in different spaces. It had the same impact mm-hmm. wherever I went. I said, we have to sing this at Urbana and it's going to be the song. I wow. remember telling people this. And so I remember going out on stage. This was funny. I walked out on stage and I said, you know, for, for conferences this size, it's probably not a good idea. I've le- something I've learned um, over the years is not to teach, you know, um, something brand new on the first night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to teach you this song from South Africa. <laughs> and everyone started laughing. And I knew that if we did it on the first night, it would be the anthem of, mm. wow. of that week, at least. And it did. And, and it, it became stuck. memes and everything yeah. else. Yeah, but it it's, it's quite meaningful. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's cool to hear the backstory of it. Do you feel like there seems to be a space for multicultural worship songs right now? Are they well received? I know you said from your experience at Urbana that it was well received right. and people were right. ready. I people th- are ready to receive, but tell us more about that. I think people are ready and I think the industry needs to be even more ready than mm-hmm. they they have um, been. Mm-hmm. A music industry that is who's driving a lot of this uh, CCLI. At least once a year I go online just to see what the top 100 are and I'm going to be honest and I'll um, just shoot it straight Mm -hmm. what I found or what I noticed is that it's mostly mostly men mostly white men Mm -hmm. and and very few people I I say very few I didn't notice any people of color and very few women and when Mm -hmm. the women were represented usually their names were like co-writers of of Uh, the songs and so I think there needs to be more space for just a diff- diversity in worship. So those, I, I think that list should change. I've <laughs> been thinking that for about 10 years, uh, but you know, we were just talking about um, Urbana and how people respond. I, I definitely think there is a, a desire for it. Um, I also believe that more churches and organizations should just create the space for multi-ethnic global worship um Mm. so there's a desire but space hasn't been made for it Mm, right right. um how has it been received i i travel into a lot of spaces and i sing some of the popular songs but i also bring along multicultural songs as well as my own original songs and people are receiving it really well really well there's no space on christian radio right now there's no space in this top 100 list and i'm not ashamed to say that it, it's a shame that it's that way and it needs right. to change right. um and i think at this point we live in a i mean we have access through the internet mm-hmm. you know facebook instagram and all these great things that we independent people we just kind of create and put the content out there and hopefully you know people discover it um, mm-hmm. through sharing and things like yeah. that so that's where I am with that. Yeah, no, we appreciate it. You being honest. I mean, the facts are there, right? They yeah. speak for themselves. And um, when you said like creating space for that and churches should do mm-hmm. a 
like more of a job of that. What do you, how does that look like? Like, what do you think, you, how can you encourage churches to create that space? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. What steps could that look like? In fact, I would say churches as well as, I'm, I'm thinking about this top, I'm still stuck on this top yeah, 100. No. <laughs> Some of these are mainstream people, and, and I don't blame the artist, by the way. It is the industry. Mm-hmm. But right. where, where I believe the writers, the artists, can create mm-hmm. space by using that power that they have mm-hmm. to bring others along to to share that space, mm. to introduce um, global worship leaders, and not just global, but people from different expressions in different places. So that, that's the artists. In terms of churches, there are different ways. I, I, like we're sitting here right now, right? And right. most of us, I don't have Spotify, but most of us do. Um, <laughs> we, can, we, can, <laughs> we can diversify our Spotify lists and share mm. our lists with one another. I think in churches, changing up the playlists um, that are playing when people walk into the space. What, mm. It doesn't have to be the top 100. Yeah, It could be mm-hmm. a, a more diverse playlist. Mm-hmm. Think about not only the people in the room, at, in those churches or mm-hmm. gatherings, but again, outside in the community, like change up playlists and play different right. songs. Mm-hmm. I think it's important. It's vital, in fact, for people who are um, entering into introducing multicultural songs to mm. tell song stories mm. are yeah. better yet allow the stories to be told by you know the people groups that, that that it comes from if they are represented if not tell the stories like i'm not south african i'm not nj i'm not greg right. but i tell that story yeah. because it's important for me to give honor and to bring people along and for people to know that I didn't write that song because had I not set it up at Urbana, they would have thought, oh, that's Eric Lodge's mm-hmm. song. No, I don't yeah. want yeah, people don't to want think to. Right. that's my song. I want them to know that this is NJ <clears throat> and Greg's song. Mm-hmm. Um, but being in community with the people in our, in our churches and, and in our community and asking them, hey, what are you listening to? What songs did you grow up um, listening to? What's, that, what's important to you? What's meaningful mm-hmm. to you? And as a worship yeah. leader, if there's an opportunity for me to learn it and teach it or have someone come in and, and teach it to our congregation, as well as share the story of why it's meaningful to mm. them, all the better. So you, you lead worship at your church, right? yeah, at Mass yeah. Community Church in San Diego. And how have you seen leading different songs, like multicultural songs, how has that affected your congregation? Do you see more families coming in, like different people, yeah. different backgrounds coming in? Absolutely. Um, there's a family who came to our, our church uh, maybe six or seven years ago uh-huh. from Iran, mm-hmm. um, suffered some religious persecution, and so they made their way to the church. And we had been singing this, this Persian song. So they came to the church, and immediately they felt welcomed. It just felt mm-hmm. like a, this hospitable place. And almost every time we would sing that song when they're in, in, in church, I see them the, with their um, phones going up and just videoing like every single time. It's like, I, I wonder yeah. what they're doing with all of like the same song, you know, recording. Right. But it, it showed that they felt loved and they felt welcomed mm-hmm. in this space. Um, times when we sing songs in Spanish, we have um, sisters and brothers um, who are Latino, Latinx, mm-hmm. uh, Latina who just feel like, oh my gosh, I grew up on that Cristo, yo te amo. Cristo, yo te Like, oh my gosh, this is my childhood song. Mm, yeah. Yeah. They feel like they can invite their friends and their family because this is a welcoming space. Mm. It's a space for them. 
And then the second story, this is just two or three days ago. I go for these two-hour walks. It may not look like it, but I go for... <laughs> <laughs> I do go for two-hour walks to get my 10,000 steps. Oh, there in, you go. Um, yeah. In the local park where I live. Mm-hmm. And there's this, this sweet lady who... I've been seeing her for about two years. We just walk past one another and smile and wave. Oh, wow. But we never stop to say hello or whatever because we're usually going in the opposite direction. Or, you know, we're walking, getting those steps in. <laughs> but for whatever reason, a few days ago, I, you know, I had been traveling, gone for a couple of weeks, and she was stopped, and I was just starting my walk, and she said, where have you been? <laughs> you know? And I said, oh, I've been traveling. I just come back from Greece and Armenia. And she's like, wow, what do you do? And I said, I'm a singer. She says, I thought you were a professor all this time. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're like, I look intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. So she asked me, where where are some of the spaces you've traveled to? I said, you know, I go to Japan the most. And I uh, mentioned other places. She's like, oh, I'm Japanese. Wow. And so that led to her asking me to sing a song in Japanese. And so I started singing. So that moved her, you know, and she says, where do you sing locally? I told her my church. Mm. And mm. she's like, I'm coming to your church. I'm, wow. Are you going to be there Sunday? And she was there yesterday, as a matter of fact. Wow. But in that awesome. moment, um, yeah. and I'm probably jumping the gun. It, this was a very missional moment. Mm. She mm. stopped. She said, since you're a Christian, can you pray for me? She said, I have cancer and my husband, husband just had a stroke. Can you, can you pray for me? And right oh there in that gosh. moment, I prayed for her wow. um, as all these people were walking by us. Mm-hmm. Wow. It was a very missional moment. But all that to say that even singing Japanese to this Japanese lady mm-hmm. in the park in that moment, I mean, she yeah. showed up and felt welcomed mm-hmm. in our yeah. community just yesterday, which yeah. was Sunday. Oh my gosh. That's- that's, that's awesome. so amazing. <laughs> yeah. And and I will say yeah. and and that's proof that God uses our ethnic identity as, as um an instrument to to help bring people into the kingdom of or closer to the kingdom of God. I mm-hmm. love that God just used that relationship that mm-hmm. you had mm-hmm. that route those like steps that you need to get yeah. in and he just created such a special like relationship between the two of you and mm-hmm. really used you especially since you don't look like a guy who speaks Japanese <laughs> you know what I mean so I'm like that's so amazing that you know and for her to see like hey this is a God that transcends like different mm-hmm. nations this is a God who is here and who speaks your language too exactly. I think that's so powerful in connecting her and you know, it's really speaking mm-hmm. to her life. Thank you. Well, I, I thank God because he's, he's the one that do it. Mm-hmm. He, he's not doing it, but he does it through us mm-hmm. because right. if he did it, do even do it even better. It'd be so much more perfect. <laughs> right, yeah, right? Yeah. Because in that moment, I remember going like, do you really want to stand here and pray all these people? Walking by? You know, I don't want to get stoned. No. But we prayed a powerful prayer. It'll be cool to see what happens to that lady over time. Absolutely. Too. Like, right. absolutely. And she plugs uh, into yeah. the community too yeah. with you guys. Yeah. Um, you might have touched on this briefly, but mm-hmm. what do you think are the benefits of a diverse and multicultural church? I, I think one of the benefits is we get to experience or we get to discover other people's stories. Mm. Um, we get to experience their different expressions of worship. We are all created in the, the um, image of God, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So when we experience 
people who are different than us. They're different expressions of worship and and just kind of get to know them. We I feel like we get to experience a different aspect of the multidimensional God that we we serve. Mm. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that there's always something missing if we're just experiencing us? It's like to be in community with people who are different than us. Um, it allows us to experience their story, their mm. expression, but to get a taste of, wow, this is, this is an aspect of God that I perhaps didn't know about prior mm-hmm. to, to getting to know, you know, this individual or these individuals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Going off of that, how important for you is music in a multicultural church? Music in the world. But like music touches every aspect of our living. I mean, you, you get on an mm-hmm. airplane, there's some options to listen to music. You, I hear music even in a washing machine. It's like, maybe that's me as a musician. There's a lot of YouTube videos like that, right? Yeah, yeah. But music is important in just daily living. In every society, music has played a major aspect of living. So why not then in church? where we have a, a gathering of people from different ages and stages and places. Right. How can we bring songs along that, again, I keep using this word hospitable, that welcomes yeah. people mm-hmm. to say that you are welcomed here. And it doesn't stop there. When they feel comfortable in this space, then they can connect easier to the God that created them in his image mm-hmm. and in his likeness. I love that you use the word hospitable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for myself growing up, I um, grew up in Singapore. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So I actually attended a multicultural church too, an international church oh, back wow. home. And so we actually, we had a map in our sanctuary mm-hmm. which just showed all the places that were represented within our congregation. Mm-hmm. And our music leader at the time, um, I think this was like a middle school or high school, he started to um, create this like Christmas program called um, Christmas Around the World. Wow. And it was amazing because he had this choir up there and it just was a beautiful, it was just so colorful. You know, like everyone would wear their like ethnic clothing. Everyone would just sing in their own language. Mm-hmm. And I remember just walking in and just feeling so overwhelmed with wow. emotions, wow. right? Because like you said too, music um, definitely ignites like an emotional response. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just remember feeling so warm, welcome. Like even if I don't understand <laughs> the words that is coming out people's <laughs> mouths, like I I experienced God's presence through wow. all of those things, you yeah, know, and oh my gosh, it was just so amazing because as we were doing more Christmases around the world, like we saw how the map also grew, mm. right? We had like different flags up from where people were represented and people just started coming in because this was a safe place for them, yes. right? And this is mm-hmm. a place where they know like, hey, we're invited into this and this is global and this is bigger than ourselves. And that's, yeah, the reality is, yes, it's, it's hospitable, but it also reminds us that we are part of something bigger. Mm. Yeah. Especially in a, I'm speaking from um, as a person, as a U.S. citizen, it's easy to think individualistic. And then even as we enter into our worship spaces, we think individualistic as our community, our community. Mm. Right. And we forget that we are a part of something far bigger. We're, we're part of God's kingdom. Yeah. His global church. Jesus is the head of the church, but he has a whole body. And it's, they're not all North American <laughs> or from the UK or Australia. <laughs> all are included. Amen all are welcome. Yes. And that's what yeah. John the Revelator shows us uh, concerning the future of worship. Every tribe, every language, every people, every tongue. So we may as well practice that now. Not even practice, yeah. just live it out now so yeah. that when we get to heaven, we don't have to, it doesn't have to be so unfamiliar 
to us, right? And I always say, um, if we're just doing it on stage but not off stage, then it's tokenism. We have to live it out. Like, if we're not in community with different people, then why get up on the stage and actually sing a song in a different language or style if we're not living this thing out? So that's a practical thing, actually. Just being in community with people who don't look or live like us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really liked what you talked about. Um, And you already know, like, the purpose of this podcast is Mm -hmm. to help other Christians understand what it means to be missional, right? What it means for an artist to be missional, what it means for a doctor to be missional. Mm -hmm. Um, We're hopefully going to cover all sorts of different people Mm -hmm. over time. Yes, that's the hope. Yeah, every, every person is important to God's kingdom in their own individual ways. And so, like, in your own words, do you mind explaining what the missions field, like, means to you? What, how to define that? Absolutely. I think the mission field is wherever we set our feet. Mm-hmm. It's in coffee shops, <laughs> in malls, in grocery store lines, in, you know, the, the dental office. You know, wherever we go, that really is the mission field. We have Jesus in us, and he's constantly working in us and through us and transforming us. And I think as we allow God's word to continually shape who we are and we live in community, mm. not just in church, because that's only about an hour, however long, and then we have our little seat community groups or whatever, but living in everyday life, just living Jesus in, in, like in a very real way, I think people experience Jesus through us. I wrote a... Um, uh, I guess I call it a mission statement or a, um, mm-hmm. a life statement for myself. It started in high school and I wrote, I live my life to inspire, mm-hmm. uplift, encourage, and challenge people to live out God's greatness in their lives. Wow. So that's a life filter for me. When I post something on social media, mm-hmm. when I'm hanging out with people, mm-hmm. if the answer is yes, then okay, I can do this. Yeah. If the answer is no, then probably shouldn't do it Eric. Yeah. probably shouldn't say it and I don't always pass the test mm-hmm. yeah. but it has kept me out of a lot of trouble yeah. <laughs> especially when it comes to politics so there you go <laughs> wow. that's awesome I think all of us should do that honestly <laughs> and I think a lot of Christians what they struggle with is they see the missions field as like this next step in their faith or this something that's like foreign far exactly away, right? yeah mm-hmm. so like even for yourself do you consider yourself a missionary I guess based on the story that I shared about meeting the lady in the park, I have to say yes, right? Yeah, <laughs> in fact, I, 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 I didn't coin this, but I heard some other, some, uh, someone else say it. I think I'm a missionary oh. to stand in wow. the park and to sing to a lady in Japanese, nice. yeah. Japanese you know, and then her show up at church the next day. Not that yeah. going to church is the, the thing because we, mm-hmm. people experience Jesus through us, but it's powerful. Mm-hmm. Because perhaps you will find community there. Yeah. Right. Um, so, musicianary. That's awesome. I you love that word. That yeah, something. can you please? We'll buy it. Yes. <laughs> we'll wear them on our next then podcast. I'll sell it. Because <laughs> I'm trying to make a living doing this thing. <laughs> you better trademark that before yeah. this episode comes out. Right, right. Hurry up. No, just <laughs> well, thank you again, Eric. It was, welcome, it was great to get to know you um, for being on our episode. Yeah, we're so blessed to have you here. And it's just so amazing to hear about your experience, what God's been doing through you. And yeah, we're so excited to hear what happens next, what music comes out, you know? Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, and you can find some of my music at theethnosproject.com. Um, the T-H-E, ethnos, E-T-H-N-O-S, project.com. Thanks for listening to episode two of Coffee Meets Bible. 
As Eric said, you can support the Ethnos Project by purchasing their albums and sharing their music. Direct links to the Ethnos Project and also the worship set from Urbana 18 can be found at www.cultivationproject.org slash podcasts under episode two. We want to give a shout out to our supporters for all of their prayers, encouragements, and financial contributions that made this podcast possible. If you'd like to support future podcasts, you can do so at www.cultivationproject.org slash donate. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you join us for future episodes of Coffee Meets Bible.